Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In 1986, Tom Matthews and his girlfriend Sarah decided to uproot their lives. Tom is a writer, and Sarah is a photographer. They were fascinated with French wine and wanted to explore life in France. So they sublet their Manhattan apartment, purchased one-way tickets to France, and bought a 12-year-old Renault for $850. They searched for an affordable place to live in a rural wine-growing area, and they found a presbytery, the former home of a priest, in Rouche, a small village in the Bordeaux region. Tom wanted to learn all he could about the art of winemaking from the ground up. He wanted to learn about the famed terroir of the French grapes, how they take on the particular flavors and characteristics of the conditions in which they grow. Geography, soil type, the previous crops grown on the land, the weather in a given year, the age of the vines, and countless other factors all affect the size, flavor, and aroma of the grapes and the taste of the wines made from them. What Tom discovered was another primary element, perhaps the primary element, in creating the terroir of the wine. They were the profoundly distinct characters, the people who actually tended the vines. One of those characters was named Jeanette. Tom went out to pick grapes one day with her, an elderly woman with a young, mischievous grin, who despite her age and diminutive stature, could outpick Tom four bunches of grapes to one. After a while, Tom's back began to hurt, Jeanette said to him, it's hard on the back, but you get used to it. Tom asked, how long does that take? Jeanette replied, well, I picked grapes for over 40 years, and sometimes my back still hurts. Tom said, I can't wait that long, and fell to his knees. Jeanette cackled, oh, you learn to wait if you have to. As they snipped grapes, Tom said, 40 years, that's a lot of grapes. Do you remember any harvest in particular? Without hesitation, Jeanette replied, 1956. That year, the winter frost killed so many vines, we finished picking grapes in a single week. All those dead vines were terrible to see. She shook her head, terrible. Psalm 80, which we chanted minutes ago, was written in a terrible time, like that 1956 winter frost. The psalm uses a vine as a metaphor for the Hebrew people. The vine was born in the shackles of slavery in Egypt. Nations were driven out, and the vine was planted in the Promised Land. Those nations that were driven out are a part of the story a vital part of the terroir 
of the vine. Much like the terroir of this land is saturated by the trail of tears of our indigenous peoples and by the blood and sweat of those who were brought and sold as slaves right here. Over time, the vine of the Hebrew people grew and stretched out from the mountains to the sea. But now it has been trampled upon by wild animals, metaphors for the enemy nations who had broken down its defenses and scoured its land. The psalmist expressed the deepest longing of the people in their time of distress, for they felt God had abandoned them. They desperately cried out, Turn again, O God of hosts, Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine. And they continually prayed in the refrain of the psalm, Restore us, O God of hosts. Show the light of your countenance, and we shall be saved. People longed for God to once again tend the vine. Perhaps they and we are also learning that we have a sacred responsibility do everything we can to help God tend the vine. After their year in the vineyards, Tom wrote a book about their time in Roosh entitled A Village in the Vineyards. Sarah provided the photographs. What is striking about the stories and photos from that year are not the winemaking equipment and processes, but the deeply caring characters and the chiseled faces of each person who tended the vines. What is most resonant in the book is how Tom and Sarah were so touched by their hospitality and by the many ways the people of Rouge tended to them and tended to each other throughout that year. After their year in France, Tom and, Sue got mar- Tom and Sarah got married. They returned to New York where Tom later became executive editor of Wine Spectator magazine. Sarah has published several books of her photography, highlighting the people in vineyards of wine-growing regions throughout the world. Throughout all their many accomplishments, they still approach their life and work with the same humility that they learned and lived out during that year in Roosh. I got to meet them when I was mentored as a seminary associate by Tom's stepfather, Reverend Kerm Morrison, at a little church in an old Italian neighborhood on the east side of New Haven, Connecticut. Tom volunteered to be a lay reader of scriptures on his frequent visits to that little church. He also offered to host wine tasting events as fundraisers for the retirement home where Kerm and Tom's mother, Susie, eventually settled. A few years ago, Ruthie and I went back to New Haven where I officiated a wedding. We contacted Tom to see if it would be all right if we went by and visited Kerm, who had been suffering from dementia for a number of years. Tom said not only would it be okay, we were coming on a weekend that he would be there with the man he called Dad. We arranged to meet Tom in Kerm's room. Ruthie gave Kerm a kiss on the cheek and called him Kermie Baby as she had done years before, like Miss Piggy did with Kermit the Frog. This seemed to spark something in Kerm's memory, and he laughed and smiled. What I remember most about that visit is the tender way Tom spoke to Kerm 
In the gentle way, he stroked his father's forehead. Two months later, Tom contacted us, let us know that Kerm had died. We would not trade anything for that hour of being with Kerm and Tom. One last hour to say goodbye to our beloved Kerm. One last hour to bear witness to Tom's love and tenderness. One writer reflects on our crying out to God in Psalm 80 this way, at the heart of a believer's rage is longing. In the end, we may not yearn so much for a rational explanation as we yearn for tenderness, a healing touch of balm for all the gaping wounds that alienate us from our own humanity and from divine delight. Toward the end of that day, when Tom and Jeanette picked grapes together, he asked her if she remembered an especially good year. Surprisingly, she did not look back to a year in the past. Instead, Jeanette said, you know, this year is not bad. A very big crop. Jeanette reminds Tom and us that there is much to be grateful for in the present. The same God who carried her through the losses of the 1956 winter frost is present in times of abundance. In any time of loss, it's a part of our terror and gives us a humble appreciation and gratitude for whatever gifts we receive and for whatever gifts we have to offer. Yes, we do find God when we cry out. But we find God most every time we join in tending the vine with little touches of tenderness. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.